Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Let your heart hold fast to mine Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. The stories that we tell as a, as a culture, in many ways, shape the lives that we live. They shape the direction that we go. They shape the values that we hold. And so it shouldn't be any surprise to you that the same was true for the nation of Israel, that the stories that they told and that God commanded them to tell and to retell were intended to shape the lives that they lived. And one of the most prominent stories that the Israelite people told over and over and over again, both through, through um, festival and ritual and through direct command from God, was the story of their exodus from slavery all over the pages of Scripture. We, we find this command, remember where you came from, Israel. See, Israel was um, under the the hand, the the mighty oppressive hand of the Egyptians for 400 years. They were commanded to make bricks without straw. They were beaten down. They were oppressed. And and God miraculously and mightily stepped in. And you may have seen Charlton Heston reenact it. But he stepped in and, and led them out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. They walked through it on dry ground. And they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. And God shaped them and formed them as a people. And then eventually led them into the promised land. But gave them this command. Never forget where you've come from. Don't, don't remember what it's like. Don't forget what it's like to, to be on the bottom as I, as I bless you. As I bless you, God said, you are intended to be a people who bless those around you. And don't forget, don't forget, don't forget about the least vulnerable people. Remember, that's who you were when I took you by the hand and I led you into freedom. So so in the book of Deuteronomy, it's not unique, but just one passage, we start to see this shine through. Speaking to the nation of Israel, God says, you shall not pervert what? Justice, right? It's not in yellow. I'm sorry. You're like, I was looking for the yellow. It's okay. Do not pervert justice or doing what's right. The justice due to the sojourner or the foreigner, the immigrant, or or to the fatherless, or take the widow's garment in a pledge. But you shall what? Remember. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. This is a a formative narrative for the people of God. Never forget where you've come from. And why does God have to command Israel to remember? 
because they'd forget. The same is true for you and I. It's easy to forget where we've come from when we stand where we are. So he says to them, my nation, my people, my voice, my light will be a people of justice. Not not just to people who can serve you back and not even to people who are part of your nation, but but you're going to be a unique people amongst all the people of the earth because you're going to do justice to the sojourner, to the fatherless, to the widow, to the groups of people that everybody else takes advantage of. You're going to be unique, Israel. Why? Well, because you remember what it's like to be on the bottom. The hard part is we forget. The hard part is we trend away from justice naturally because it typically doesn't benefit us. Um, My oldest son has a strong sense of justice. So when it's his birthday, he expects to get presents (laughs) because that's what's right. But the thing is, he expects to get presents on everyone's birthday. He's going, why did Avery get that? Well, because it's her birthday. Well, what am I going to get? Well, why did Avery get to have that friend over? When is my friend coming over? Your friend's been over. He lives at our house, man. Like, the dude has this strong sense of justice through his own lens. Only when it benefits him does he want justice. Will you look at me for a second? We never grow out of this. We never grow out of this. This is part of what it means to be human. We have this deep longing for justice in our souls. If you disagree with me, explain to me how we have CSI Lincoln, Nebraska. (laughs) And we have like 12 different seasons of CSI, crime scene investigator, because we love justice. Nobody's rooting for the bad guy who murdered all the people to get away. Have you ever wondered why that is? We're we're all rooting for the person to get caught. We're rooting for what's right to be done. It's the reason that the podcast serial was so compelling. Episode after episode, I'm going, well, is Adnan guilty or is he innocent? And are you ever going to tell me? And the answer is, no, they're never going to tell you. So that's, spoiler alert, if you're in the middle of it, you're going to be disappointed because you love justice, just like I do. It's the same reason making a murderer on Netflix was so wildly popular. It's because we love justice. We want things to be fair. We want things to be right. So we have this reflection. I would consider that to be the, the image of God that's stamped on the human soul. We want justice, we want right, because we're made in the image of God. But, but what sin does to us is it turns us and it fractures us. So instead of seeing justice as it is, we start to see it through our lens. We start to see it through the lens of, well, what benefits me? What, what serves me? And so what God says to his people all throughout the scriptures is, 
listen. You see, he says, I execute justice for the fatherless and for the widow. And, and this is speaking about God, he loves the sojourner, the, the, the immigrant, the wanderer, the, the person without a country to call their own, giving him food and clothing. So, so then he talks to his nation, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in Egypt. Don't forget the story. Don't forget the bigger narrative that you're a part of. I redeemed you. I rescued you. And you are to be a people who do the same. And as we see in this passage, justice is really, really, really important to God. Because all people are important to God. That's why it matters. That's why it matters to God. That's why it should matter To us as God's people, justice matters to God because all people matter to God. In fact, would you say that with me? Justice matters to God because all people matter to God. And in our time this morning in the scriptures, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask God to, to press on us a little bit because, like I said, we start to see things strictly from our point of view and what benefits us. And, and, and it's, not because, it's not because we're intentionally evil or wrong. It's because it's part of our human condition. So let's just admit this morning that we may have some blind spots. Okay? Can we, can we do that together? Let's admit we may, we may have some blind spots. There may be some things that, that are in our life that we don't see. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go to the scriptures and we're going to ask that God would open our eyes. And, and that justice would matter to us because it matters to God. And that justice would matter to us because well, people matter to us. And so even if it costs us something, let's be people who pursue justice. You may be going, all right, Paulson, that's great. What is justice, though? I'm so glad you asked that, okay? So there's two words in the Hebrew scriptures that are typically translated justice, and they're, they're sort of like two sides of the same coin. The first word is the word mishpat. Would you say that with me? Mishpat. Right. It's used over 200 times in the Hebrew scriptures, okay? And it simply means that which is equitable or fair. To, to do what's right. So you have this scale in your bulletin, and I understand that if I put all the good things on one side of the scale, it's going to be uneven. I get it. The metaphor breaks down at some point. So we're going to stack the things, the justice things on one side and injustice on the other. But uh, equitability means that things are are fair, and that's what mishpat means. But it's more than just um, correcting wrongs. It's both punishing the wrongdoer, but more than that, it's restoring the person who is wronged. All throughout the scriptures, you see this word mishpat that carries with it this relational component that the person who was taken advantage of is somehow made right again that they're made whole. So sometimes when justice is talked about in the scriptures, the the wrongdoer, as it were, gets off, but the wronged is restored, and God says that's just, that's justice, that's mishpat. It's this idea that the wronged is made right and is restored. So, So we see this all throughout the scriptures, and it 
tends to focus in the Old Testament around Israel being the kind of people who have mishpat or, or have justice towards the people that everybody else takes advantage of. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 19, curses anyone who perverts the justice due, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. And if you add the poor in there, what you have is what many people refer to as the quartet of the vulnerable, the people that everybody takes advantage of simply because they can. So God says, no, not, not my people. They, they do justice or they're, they're, they're right in their dealings with Everybody, but the second word is similar. It's the word sedakah. Will you say that with me? Sedakah. And it means righteousness. It means to treat others the way that you would want to be treated. It's the type of thing where if everybody lived with sedakah, mishpat wouldn't be necessary because people would be treated right. And so here's what God presses on his people. In fact, in fact, early on in the scriptures, you see the calling over Abraham's life is this. He says, God says, I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. So how do you keep the way of the Lord? Well, by doing righteousness or sedakah and Justice, mishpat, it's the first time the word justice is used in the scriptures and it's tied together with this term righteous. Living rightly in relationship to the people around you. See, justice isn't just this judicial, somebody's wrong and somebody's right. Justice is this relational, somebody's broken and restored. That's what's at the heart of God when we talk about Justice is people who are fractured being made whole and being made right. So this righteousness is living in right relationship to God and to everyone around us. And Mishpat is God stepping in and saying, I'm going to right the wrongs and restore the broken and heal the hurting. And God says to you and I, that's really important to me. And it should be really important to you too as my people. He doesn't mince words about this. It's all over the pages of scripture. So as I said, in your notes you see a a scale. It's a scale of justice. And the book of Proverbs is going to take this idea of God's justice and put it on the ground for us. The book of Proverbs is a book of of wisdom literature, of of, of short little sayings that reflect the way God's designed the world to work. And one of the ways that God's designed and wired the world to work is that it would be fair, that it would be just, that it would be good. And as his people, he presses on us and says, this is not something you get to pray about. You hear me? We, We don't get to pray about whether we want to be people of justice. We get to pray about how we're people of justice, but we don't get to bring this before the Lord and go, God, do you want me to be just? And he's going to be like, have you read my word? (laughs) This is something I've commanded my people from the beginning of time, that you would reflect my heart for all people. So as a follower of Jesus, this just in, you don't get to pray about whether you care about justice. 
God cares about it. And therefore, he calls his people to care about it. But, but as Richard Stearns, the CEO of World Vision, says, uh, so often there's a hole in our gospel when it comes to justice. There's a, there's a lack. There's a lack of care sometimes. There's a lack of voice sometimes. And so as we go to the scriptures today, let's go with the heart attitude that man, maybe, maybe just maybe, there's something that God would have for us. Proverbs chapter 29. Will you turn there with me? And if you've been with us over the course of the summer as we've looked at the book of Proverbs, you know that after chapter 9 in Proverbs, it turns into a potpourri of wisdom sayings, that there's not sort of one thread per chapter or per section, that there's a number of themes that the author of Proverbs wants to draw out, but they're scattered all over the book. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to draw together these, this theme of justice and see the way it plays out over the course of this book, Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7. A righteous or a sarachah type of person, they know the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Um, there's other versions that say a righteous man remembers the poor. Doesn't just walk right by. I was reminded of a story I read a while back. In January 12, 2007, a man by the name of Joshua Bell took his $3.5 million violin and he went and he sat in the entrance to a subway in Washington, D.C. It was during rush hour and thousands of people walked by him as he played this beautiful instrument in the way that only a professional could because that's exactly what he was. He played for 45 minutes, six different pieces of Bach, and at the end of the 45 minutes, he had $32 in his case. He had 20 people that had stopped for just a short period of time. The most compelled was a child leaned in. The ironic part about it was that three days earlier, Joshua Bell sold out a stadium in Boston to play the same violin, the same songs for the same amount of time, $100 a seat. Context matters. And see, he dressed up like a homeless guy to play the violin in the corner and people just walked right by him. Didn't even notice him. Just in the background. Just noise. I started to wonder, how, how many people do I just walk by? How many people are in my background? How many people are just noise? The reason God tells his people, remember the rights of the poor is because it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget that if we perceive people don't add something to our life, that they don't deserve something from us or from the people around them or that they don't hold or have value. But God says in my kingdom, things are differently different. Instead of 
ignorance. And I don't mean that in the sense that um, uh, uh, we are actively ignorant. I mean that in the literal sense. We ignore things. We ignore people. Instead of that, God says, my, my people are people of compassion. They, they see the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, the poor, and they, and they care. It's fascinating to me. In, in a book that is all about the gospel, the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul slips in there what he longs to and hopes to do as he goes to visit the churches in Galatia. Listen to what he says. He says, this is what the people asked of me. They, they asked us to what? Remember the poor. In the midst of all this beautiful, marvelous gospel proclamation, Paul goes, okay, but the, but the one thing I want to do when I'm on the ground is I, I need to remember the poor. And he says, it was the very thing that I was eager to do. I wanted to do this. That his preaching was accompanied with his living. Now hear me, hear me, hear me. Will you look up at me for a moment? I, I'm not in this at least in this section, I'm not making a political statement. In fact, I think it's way too easy to put our calling as a church on politicians. This is our calling as a people of God, not a politician's calling. Our calling as a people of God is to remember the poor. Let's not try to give somebody else the church's job. This is our job. And I think, I think, one of the reasons I absolutely love pastoring this church is because I think you guys do it in a really beautiful way. That in the course of a given month, did you know that there will be over 425 people that come through our food bank to get food? 70 to 100 families every single week. We collect between 3,000 and 3,500 pounds of food every single week. Sharon Motzner, she's hiding back there because she knows I'm going to say something about her, but she does an amazing job facilitating and running our food bank. Yeah, praise the Lord. This last year, we've hosted Family Promise four different times because you are a church that says, if there's anything within our power to do, we want to provide a place for homeless people to sleep. So we've partnered with 12 other churches around the Denver area to open the doors of our church to 21 families, to 69 people with over 100 volunteers. You guys saying, this matters to us, and we've been able to provide housing to those people four different times throughout the course of this year because we believe that all people matter to God, and therefore all people matter to us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I love this picture of Jesus when it would have been so easy for Jesus to just be on his quote-unquote mission and miss the people. We, we see that your king is the kind of king who, when he sees the crowds, he doesn't just walk by, and he's not so busy that he looks past, but he actually sees them. He has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. So maybe the question back to God today is, God, are there people in my life that I don't see because of the position that they have? Are there people in my life that, that I just walk by that have become background noise 
that you want me to see, that you see, God, and that you want me to see differently. Did you pray that prayer today? Did you ask him, are the people I'm just not seeing because of where they're situated or what they lack? Because God says, my people are the kind of people who take note of the poor. And then we'll start to see what they do in light of that. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, give us this next sort of invitation to be people of justice. The author of Proverbs says this, says, open your mouth for, for the mute, for people that don't have a voice. God's people are in, designed and intended to be a voice. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Because the tendency throughout all of history, you can check my work, let me know if you can find an epoch where I'm wrong, but the tendency in all of history is to trend away from the poor, away from the needy, away from the oppressed, where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. There's never been a time, unless people were intentional about saying, that's not who we're going to be, that it didn't happen. So God says, okay, so I want my people when they start to see injustice, to not be people who remain silent, but to be people who raise their voice, to be people who say something, who when they see something, they say something. And so it's this movement from apathy to advocacy. Okay, but let's have a quick talk. We cannot raise our voice if we have not first opened our ears. If we haven't heard the stories of people who are oppressed and listened without a judgmental attitude, or if only you would have pulled up your bootstraps, or if only you would have done what I've done. Listen, if they were in your situation, they may have done what you've done. But they're not, they're in their situation. And until we start to hear people's stories and start to actually listen to people's hearts, we will not be able to stand up and speak on their behalf. So before we speak, we've got to first listen. What if, what if the church became known as a community where people listened to the stories of the broken? Instead of deciding whether or not we think they were right or wrong or what they should have done, what if we just opened our heart and listened? Because the tendency in all of us, when we are in a system, and we are, okay, we are, when we're in a system that benefits us, it's hard to see the way that it hurts others. That's true of human nature, you guys. So when we listen, what we start to do is we start to say, well, there may be a different narrative going on that's, that's, that's other than my own. That's po you do know that's possible, right? Okay. So, so when we listen, we open ourselves up to go, okay, maybe the systems that we're in have some flaws. This just in, they're designed by humans. They do have flaws. They do. And so how do we 
become the kind of people. See, all throughout the scriptures, God gives people power so that they would leverage their power for those who don't have it. That's the invitation of, of our God. You do know that Jesus is not down on power. You do know that Jesus is not down on influence. He's not down on on authority. He's actually down on people of positions of power using the power to benefit themselves rather than to advocate for the people underneath them. You're looking at me like you don't believe me. Okay, Matthew chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Jesus calls his disciples to him and says, you know that those who are considered the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. That's what they do with their power. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. See, Jesus isn't down on power or greatness. He's down on people of power using greatness to benefit themselves rather than those around them. And whoever would be first among you must be the, okay, so here the narrative's coming in again, must be the slave of all. Don't forget where you've come from. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Silence isn't an option. Richard Stearns again said, the church that's lost its voice for justice is a church that's lost its relevance in the world. Elie Wiesel, the Jewish author and concentration camp survivor said, there may be times when we are powerless to prevent injustice, but there must never be a time when we fail to protest. Uh, let's be honest, guys. As a church, um, church, capital C church, we've got a checkered past. I know, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender today, so I'm just, I'm okay with that. I hope you are. We have a checkered past. See, in Great Britain, in 1878, William Wilberforce and his friends started to speak out against slavery in Great Britain. In 1803, they passed the Slave Trade Act that that dramatically limited, sorry, 1807, that dramatically limited the way that they were able to not only obtain slaves, but but for the rightful treatment of slaves. And then in 1833, that same group abolished slavery in Great Britain, and they were holding their Bible in their hand while they did it. I mean, praise be to God. And on the same time, on the other side of the pond, we had people in the United States saying, no, 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 God's for slavery. God wants slavery. You can read about it right here. And what happened was people that were greedy and needed a system that would perpetuate itself based on free labor because they wanted to line their pocketbooks um, neglected the invitation from God to value all people. And they were blinded, and they were greedy, and it drove them to do things that we would say were wrong, were evil. And then oftentimes the church was silent. It's what prompted Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to say, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. got me thinking. 
What are the issues that need the church's voice today? Well, we saw one of them last weekend on full display. The issue of racism needs the church's voice. It does. It needs us to say that all people are created equal, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that nobody's better or worse because of the color of their skin. It needs the church to rise up and say, um, what happened in Charlottesville is symptomatic of what's in all of us, and not just a unique thing that happened on one weekend because a statue was removed. The removal of a statue didn't create a monster, it revealed it. And it need, we need, that's a church, we need to go, no, 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 there's a better way. His name is Jesus. So, so I think, we need to say something about racism. Did you know that there's 45.8 million slaves in the world today? Now, here's the deal, you guys. Even as I say that, I, I had lunch with Dr. Jeff Brodsky this week. So as I say that uh, with Joy International, I've got stories in my mind, you know. And that's such a huge number, it's insurmount it feels insurmountable. But, but will you pray about what you and we can do to say with our voice, that's not okay. We're not okay with people being treated like that. And we believe that justice matters to God because all people matter to God. And we want to be the kind of church that advocates and says, yeah, we, we believe that's true, not only with our mouth, but with our lives. Well, the issue of, of abortion now you talk about someone who has no voice, needing a voice. Here, here's the deal. In the room this size, and I know your story, I know some of your stories, I know that some of you have walked through abortion. You've walked through that pain. One, I want you to know that you are welcome here and loved here. And we want you here. But we also, we also need to say our, our position is that life begins at conception, and that God cares about all people, and God cares about those babies, the one million babies that on an annual basis are aborted here in the United States. Right? So, so how do we become the type of church, the type of community that says, no, 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 these things matter to us? Can't just turn a, a blind eye. So we choose advocacy instead of apathy. book of Proverbs, it goes on to describe another scene. It says, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. Chapter 20, verse 23, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. See, here's a picture. The, the picture was that if you were selling goods before 600 BC when they developed coinage, you did it by weights. You did it by weights, and some people would have on one side of the scale like a stone, and then they would put goods on the other side of the scale, but depending on who they saw coming to their place of business, they would use a different stone. And ironically, if they saw somebody rich coming, they would use the lighter weight so that they would give you a better deal if you were buying. Why? Why would you do that? <clears throat> Because you can. Because you can. 
Because the poor people didn't have a voice to stand up and say, hey, look, can we, can we remeasure? Are, are you sure? Where's, what about that rock behind your table? Could we use that rock? So all throughout, all throughout, all throughout the scriptures, God talks about his scales, the people who use scales and represent him and carry his name. They use equal scales. They don't have one measure for some people and a different for others. They, they, have, they operate with sedakah, righteousness, rightness. They operate with integrity instead of exploitation. Exploitation is simply taking advantage of somebody because you can. Because you're in the position of, of power or authority where the person underneath you doesn't have a voice. So, so you can rip them off because they don't have a place to raise their hand and go, hey, is that, are you, are you sure that's how much I should get for working in this factory all day? So the implications for us as people that value right scales are huge, are they not? Okay, I'll admit it. Almost, almost so big that we don't know where to start. And here's the thing, here's the thing. If you start being a person that cares about scales, as it were, you're going to pay more. It's going to cost you financially. Because you're going to go, I might not be able to shop there anymore. Because they don't pay their, pay their workers right. I might not be able to go there. So it's going to cost you financially. Make no mistake about it. It will. And you can find out where your clothes are made and where, whether or not the farmers who grew the food that goes onto your table, if they got paid a fair wage, you can find out. In fact, um, one of the changes we've made down at, at Solid Grounds, now, now we're working, um, our source for coffee now is a direct trade, which is better than fair trade. Fair trade gives a fair wage, but direct trade means that the buyers are in direct contract, contact with the farmers, and we know that they are helping, especially in their Ugandan um, branch. They're helping women who are downtrodden and in need. And are we going to pay a little bit more? Yep. Is it worth it? It is to me. It's a delicious cup of coffee, too. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It'll cost you financially. It'll cost you relationally because you'll have people that stand up and say, oh, I, I don't see it that way. I, I'm not sure I agree with you. And that has to be between them and the Lord. So it's integrity versus exploitation. And then finally, and we'll land the plane here. The book of Proverbs says to do righteousness and justice, um, uh, mishpat and sedekah together again, is more acceptable to the Lord than what? Sacrifice. Now here's what's going on. What the author of Proverbs just did is... Um, attacked and in some ways supplanted an entire religious system that was based around when we offer these sacrifices for sin, when we offer these sacrifices for thanksgiving, when we offer these sacrifices, we are then in right relationship with God. And what the book of Proverbs says is, 
whoa, 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 hold it there, hold it there. Because if you're not a type of person who does righteousness or, or does what's right to the people around you, and you're not a person that cares about what's fair, and you, you don't advocate for people that don't have a voice, and you use your power just to get up one more rung on the ladder, but you sacrifice, he goes, you kidding me? Prophet Amos says it more strongly, I would say. Speaking, recording God's words. Here's what he says. God says, I hate, and just in case you think I stuttered, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, in your church gatherings. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your song, the melody of your harps. I will not listen. I mean, you get this picture of God up in heaven and his church gathers to worship but doesn't care about justice, that he's just going, la, 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 la. <laughs> but, but, but. Let justice roll down like waters and, the righteous, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He's going, listen, if you're not going to be people who care about the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, and the poor, then don't come into my house and sing songs about how great I am. Because I care about those people, and I've commissioned my body to be a body who cares about those people. So as we look at justice, what we find out is that what God's looking for is surrender, not singing. He's not just looking for people that would go through the motions of ritual, but ignore the people that he says, I care about. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, and he responds by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he goes, but I can't just leave it at one, lest you think you'd be able to come to worship and that that would be the end of the game. No, he goes, Jesus says, no, 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 the second is like it. It's from the same place. It carries the same DNA. It's of the same origin you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look up at me for a moment, will you? Because God never, never, never divides in the scriptures loving him and loving God. It's always vertical and it's always horizontal throughout all of the scriptures. This is God's call for God's people. If you're going, hey, Paulson, Sounds like a social gospel to me. What I would say to you is, if the gospel doesn't have social implications, it doesn't sound like the gospel. It doesn't sound like the gospel that Jesus 
preached and lived. It certainly doesn't sound like the gospel that the apostles preached and lived. It doesn't sound like the gospel that I read about in our scriptures where God says, absolutely. Do I care about your soul so much that I'm going to give my own son that you might be redeemed, that you might be made whole, that you might be forgiven, that you might be made right with God, that you would then therefore be like a city on a hill whose light shines. You would be a people who do justice, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with your God. Because the mantra from the ch- of the church from the very beginning is, there is no difference between Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, but we are all one in Christ. That we, anybody who comes to Christ comes saying, I am broken and I am in need. And the beauty of this all is, is we see these scales in our bulletin, but the beautiful picture of what the gospel does is it doesn't extinguish or wipe out the scales. What we see is that it, the cross overshadows the scales because in the cross, here's what we remember, you guys. We remember that we were in slavery and he's brought us out. That's our story too. He's moved us from darkness into light. In the cross, we remember that we are better than absolutely no one. The only way we get in is being broken and destitute and receiving the grace of God that's ours because of the work of Christ. In the cross, we remember that we were loved when we were God's enemies and were given the ability by his spirit then to love ours. In the cross, what we see is that God's mercy and his justice kiss. Friends, we are people of that cross. Not in a way that extinguishes the scales of justice, but in a way that empowers us to be people loved deeply by God, knowing that we got more than we deserved, that we've been freed, and therefore we say, we're going to be people who use our voice for the oppressed. We're going to be people who open our eyes, And do our best, please, Lord, not to just walk by. We're going to say integrity is important to us. It's hard in the global economy, but integrity is important to us because it's important to God. And by no means, by no means, by no means do we want our worship to end with our singing. But we want it to be demonstrated through our lives. 1959. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave the commencement speech at Morehouse College. And in that speech, he began with the story of Rip Van Winkle. Rip Van Winkle had climbed up to the top of a mountain and he'd fallen asleep for 20 years. Sounds sort of good some days, doesn't it? Here's what Dr. King says. He says, and this reveals to us that the most striking thing about the story of Rip Van Winkle is not merely that Rip slept through 20 years, but that he slept through a revolution. He woke up and a different person was in charge. 
And one of the great liabilities of our life is that all too many people find themselves living amidst a great period of social change, and yet they fail to develop new attitudes, new mental responses that the new situation demands. They end up sleeping through the revolution. Friends, I I believe that we're at a significant point for us as a country. The question will be for this church, for our church, for God's church. Are we going to sleep through this revolution? Or will we join in? Let's pray. We'll pray and then we'll celebrate baptisms together. So, good God, we, we know, we trust based on your character and based on the scriptures that, that justice matters to you because people matter to you. And so we're here to say we don't just want to sing worship songs to you. We want to live lives of worship along with you. That you would empower us to be a voice that you would empower us to carry your name, that you would empower us to demonstrate your love, that, that even the systems, if we benefit from systems that are wrong, that we would have enough integrity to stand up and say so, that we'd have eyes to see people that maybe we walk past, that we would have a voice to raise on behalf of people who don't have a voice for themselves. May we be people who remember our story. And may that story shape the lives that we live, that we've been rescued, and we want to live it. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand?